Good morning again, everyone. It's always nice to be back with you again. Um, <clears throat> we were with you in thought on the on the 12th of July, uh, when Matthew and Sophia here were <clears throat> were married. Uh, we were thinking about you on that day. We were <clears throat> on that day rejoicing with those that rejoice. And today we sorrow with those that sorrow. Um, bereavement and sadness comes to the believer as well as joy and gladness. But it's a wonderful thing to be in that family of God and to know the Lord as our Savior and as our friend. And um, it's just a wonderful thing to be saved and to joy these, to have these experiences and to share um, whether it's sadness or joy, to share these things together. So, <clears throat> I'm going to read uh, this morning in the Scriptures, but I'm going to tease you a little bit. Um, because I want to speak today about, about a man in the Bible called Agar. I want to speak about Agar, the man, and his message. And if I was going to speak on Hagar, you would certainly know where Hagar was. Well, that's easy one. She's in the book of Genesis. But where in the Bible do you find Hagar, the man, and his message? Now, that's a little bit difficult, and it's a little bit naughty, because if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't have known either. But, you know, thinking about uh, these two Sundays, thinking about the responsibility that I had to to speak, um, I hope it was the Spirit of the Lord that, that guided me to look at Agar. And you'll find him, actually, in the book of the Proverbs and in chapter 30. So if you'd like to turn to the <clears throat> book of Proverbs, chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. <clears throat> and we're just going to ring, we're just going to read one verse at a time. And if you would kindly keep your Bibles open, then <clears throat> we'll go down this until, we'll first of all look at Agar the man, and then we'll look at him from verse 11. We'll look at him at his messages. So Proverbs 30 verse 1, the words of Agar, the son of Jaki, even the prophecy, the man spake unto it heel, even unto it heel and Eucal. Now you might think there's very little in that uh, very first verse of Proverbs chapter 30, but I think there's a couple of things that we will outline about Agar first of all. The first thing is this, that only one time in the Bible do you ever read of Agar having a message. There's only one time in our Bible that he actually gives a message, and it's here in um, Proverbs chapter 30. He's not a man who is repeated uh, very much. He's not a man that's known of very much. Uh, he's not a man that ever um, we hear many people speaking about. Just once in all of our Bible do we read of the ministry and of the man called Agar. And you know, sometimes when you only hear a man once, 
Um, sometimes those are maybe some of the best messages that you ever, ever hear. Some men you hear many, many times and, you know, you forget maybe what they say, but sometimes men just speak once and you're inclined to remember what they say. And I remember I wasn't very, I wasn't very old at the time. It's many, many years ago. There came to our fellowship in our village a little man from Scotland. He was a miner. He was affectionately known as Scotch David. Scotch David. Scotch David came to our meeting one Sunday morning. I was a little boy those years ago sitting down right at the very back. And Scotch David opened the scriptures from Matthew chapter 2. And all those years later, I still remember what David spoke about that morning. He was a man with wit and a man with passion and a man with pathos in his ministry. And I remember still what that man spoke about all those years ago. And I think that Agar was a man like that. Only only spoke once in the Bible, but was genuinely worth, is genuinely worth remembering. And then the second thing you'll notice is that when he spake, he just had an audience of two. An audience of two. Ethel was there, and Eucal was there. He was a man who was humble enough to speak to an audience of two. Now, <clears throat> numbers don't make a meeting, but it's always nice when there's people here. It's easier speaking to people than to chairs. It's easier, it's easier speaking to Christians than to seats, and we're always glad of numbers. But how would you like to have a whole ministry and just speak to two simple believers? And that was what Agar did here. He spoke to only two. You know, it takes a, it takes a humble man, I think, to do that. And it takes a man with a real interest in people to do that, to take time just to speak the two. And again, again, I give a little illustration from home. Um, there was a young man in a fellowship at home. He was uh, very gifted. He was very knowledgeable. Um, he, you know, could have held an audience and the brethren recognized his gift and they commended him into full-time service for the Lord. And very soon he became a very recognized, well-known preacher, uh, traveled to America, traveled to other places, and spoke to large audiences. But the little fellowship back at home never forgot the young boy that they had commended full-time to the work of the Lord And they decided that they always kept in touch with him. They always sent him a little gift over the years. And after a certain time, they sent him a letter and they said to him, you know, it's been a long time since you've been with us in our fellowship. We still we still miss you. We still pray for you. We still support you financially. We would like you to come and speak with some meetings with us, have some meetings with us in our fellowship. And the man that received the letter back told me this story, so I know the story is true. And the letter came back, and the young man said, I no longer speak to small congregations. 
Agar was not a man like that. He was as interested in the two as he was in the thousand and two. And we should have an interest. We should have an interest not only in individuals, but not only in the big numbers, but we should have an interest in the individuals, even in the ones or twos that were, uh, that, uh, that Agar spake to in this first verse of Proverbs. Is one or two not important? Did the Lord Jesus not say, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, verse 2. Surely I am more brutish than any man, and of not the understanding of a man. You know, I learned from that, brothers and sisters, I learned from that, that Agar was a very, very humble man. He introduces his message by saying, In myself, I'm nothing. In myself, I am nobody. But I know God. And what I have acquired from God, even though I'm nothing in myself, I want to communicate unto others. And you know, brothers and sisters, it's a good thing to be humble. And it's a good thing to keep pride in the background. And it's a good thing to realize that we in ourselves are nothing. I take it that Agar was not an educated man. I take it that he had never been to the colleges or the universities or whatever they were of the day. He was a man who maybe had that inferiority complex about himself and yet it did not prevent him from serving the Lord and helping his fellow Christians. And I want to speak to the folks that are gathered here. Some of you are like myself. We have never been to college. We have no degrees. We have no name on any university role of honor. And I want to tell you this morning, this afternoon, if there are some like that who feel inferior, who feel they lack education, who feel they lack attainment, and it holds them back in the service of the Lord. I want to tell you, it didn't hold, it didn't hold Agar back. And I hope it will not hold you back either. That you will feel confident just to give out that hymn. That you will feel confident just to say those few words in prayer. And that you will make your little contribution in the service of the Lord. Now, I have nothing against degrees. I wish I had a degree. You know, whenever I left school, the only teacher that wanted me to stay at school was the rugby teacher. <laughs> I remember the maths teacher never asked me to stay. <laughs> and the headmaster never asked me to stay. But one day the rugby coach called me down to his little room. I can see it yet. And he said to me, he would really love you to stay and play next year. But I tell you, boy, I was out of there as quick as I could. I wasn't, I wasn't a good student. I wasn't a good student. But you know what? I haven't let it help hold me back in trying to read the Bible, 
and trying to understand and be a help to the people of God. So I want to encourage some of you who maybe feel you're not as competent as others. You don't know as much as others. You haven't the background of others. I want to encourage you that God can use you still. Just a little for Him, He'll use for the benefit and blessing of His people. And then, I want to come to and look at verse 5. Verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Can't you see that here is a man that had an interest in God's Word? Every word of God is pure. He had an interest in the Word of God. Now, brothers and sisters, if there is one thing that is basic, and if there is one thing that is elementary to everything else in Christian service, it is to have a love and a time to read and to study and to put into practice the good Word of God. You know, we live in such a busy world. And many times, speaking for myself at the end of the day, you feel too tired to read. And you feel too exhausted to pray. And you hop into bed and you feel, you know, I've been a bit of a failure. You know that if we're going to make progress, we need to take time to read the good word of God. And be like Agar. And put a value upon God and upon His Word. And let us throw out this challenge just now. Let us throw out this little challenge to everyone. How are we getting on with reading the Word of God? How's you young people getting on? You know, it's important to study. And it's important to get the exams. And it's important to do well. But how are we getting on and reading? the good word of God. You know, sometimes, here's the way the word of God affects me. Sometimes I think I'm getting on quite well as a Christian. And if you, well, how's things spiritually with yourself? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, we're doing okay. We're doing fine. And then, you know, sometimes I I read the Bible. And I see the, the standards of holiness and the standards of godliness and the standards of Christianity that are basic in our Bible. And I say to myself, I'm not getting on as well as I thought I was at all. And sometimes I find myself condemned when I read the Scriptures. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage the young folk, if you're going to be a help, if you're going to be an encouragement, if you're going to be a blessing unto others, read the Bible. If you read it every day, it will help you on your way. The best book to read is the Bible. So, these are some little things just sitting on the very surface about this man, Agar, and the man that he was. And I want to 
speak a little bit now about the messages that he brings. The messages that he brings. He has a very interesting, he has a very interesting method in his ministry. And what he does six times in this chapter, six times in Proverbs 30, he brings together four things. And he brings together six times these four things, and he wants us all to make, to learn lessons from these uh, 24 things that he would bring before us. Six fours are 24. And six times he puts together these four little things that we might learn lessons from this message, his ministry in Proverbs chapter 30. Now the first four are found uh, beginning at verse 11. Verse 11 of chapter 30 is the first four. And he says, <clears throat> there is a generation that curseth their father, and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw teeth as knives to pour, to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from amongst men. Now the first thing, the first thing that, the first thing that Agar wants us to learn, he wants us to learn in his ministry, the character of the world in which we live. He wants us to see the characteristics of this world through which you and I are passing day by day. And he speaks about a generation. He's not just speaking about one or two individuals. He's speaking about a whole generation and what characterizes the world in which you and I live. Now, why is that important for you and I to learn? If we could get a grasp of the true character of the world we would want to be more separated from it than we sometimes are. And here are the characteristics that he points out, these four characteristics of the world through which we pass. Number one, he says, there's a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. It's a generation of rebellion. It's a generation of disobedience. It's a generation of disrespect for all authority. Even their father and their mother, they have no respect for the instructions or have no interest in parental control. Now that's the generation that Agar described in his day. And how much is it not equally so in the day in which we live. We can hardly imagine a man that would have no respect for his father or no love for his mother. But that's what these, that's what this generation, what marked them. Complete disrespect and complete rebellion against authority of any kind. Now I can't speak for America, but you know I was born in a generation where the police used to be respected. And if we, 
I'd forgotten, but I've remembered it just now. You know, one of my first memories is running over the fields at home. About a dozen of us and one policeman chasing the whole lot of us. But we're so afraid of one man that twelve of us took their heels and ran. Because we had respect for authority. And you know, I don't know if I meant to check with some of the folks and I forgot, but you know, I read at home that even in San Francisco they were squirting water pistols on the police. And I don't know if that's false news or if that's proper news, but that's what we read recently at home. Just a generation that has no respect at all for authority. Some that are pure in their own eyes and yet have not been washed. Dear brothers and sisters, we live in a world that of a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. It grieved my heart. It grieved my heart. I was at a funeral just two weeks before I came here, a dear girl with whom I worked, a young girl, in a certain place at her funeral. And the man up here, he said you had been washed in the waters of infant baptism. And while she wasn't in heaven yet, Mary and the saints would see her through in a coming day to her final destination. The sadness of it. Do these men ever read the Bible? Do they ever read the basics of the gospel that you must be born again? Pure in their own eyes. And yet have not been washed. Brothers and sisters, how thankful we should be that we have heard the gospel in our youth from our simplicity, and in its simplicity, from our very youth. A little girl, a little girl came into the office one day and she was telling the other girls in the office that her granny had passed away. And again it touched my heart. And she was telling the girl, she said, you know, she had only one worry. What was that worry? She was worried if she'd done enough to get herself into heaven. You know, you can't speak, and you, you, you can't speak out these days and, and, and work in offices. You have to be. But I'd love to have told her it's not. It's not in trying or doing one's best, but it's just in believing in Jesus. The weary and sinful find rest. A generation that's pure in their own eyes yet are not washed. How lofty are their eyes. And their eyelids are lifted up. It's a generation of pride. A generation of pride. You know, brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that we live in a world that's proud. I mean, the even... They even, have, they even have parades about it. They even have parades about it now. You know, you can be, you, you, you can only, you can not only disobey God's law, but you can actually be proud about it in the day, day and age and generation in which we live. And we need to keep ourselves humble and not to be like a world that is proud. 
my late mother, my late mother was talking to you and she told me this herself. She was talking to a fellow Christian, a lady. And this lady's son had just graduated. He had been a very successful young doctor. He was very, very clever. Not only was he a doctor, but he became a consultant. And she was congratulating this fellow Christian lady about the promotion of her son as a consultant. And she said to her, Mrs. So-and-so, you must be very proud. You must be very proud. And my dear mother told me, she said I was quite taken back when she said, no, I'm not proud. I'm just very, very thankful. I'm just very, very thankful. And you know, there's a generation out there that's full of pride and their eyes are lifted up and they're full of haughtiness. That's the character of the world through which you and I are passing. And we need to try and keep ourselves as distinct from it as we can. And the last of this little section, there is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives. You know, brothers and sisters, we live in a generation of violence. Violence. The gospel is the gospel of peace. But there is a generation. You know, there there are so many knives in London that the police have lost control. They they, they have complete disregard. The, The police cannot cope anymore with the knives that are present in London. And there's a generation that is violent over all the world, in, in Turkey now, in, in, in Syria now, and, 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 and I don't need to come here to America to tell you the violence that is in the generation that's all around. And Agard is telling us that is the character of the world in which we live. Do we want to be part of it? Do we not want to stand back from it? And I want to say to you young people, the world is not your friend. The world is not your friend. But you have a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Let us draw closer to him and let us push the world further away. That's the first thing that he wanted us to learn. Now, the second thing that he wanted us to learn are in verse number uh, 16. Uh, Let's read verse 15, halfway down, verse 15. Um, There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things that say not it is enough. Number one is the grave. Number two is the barren womb. Number three is the earth that is not filled with water. And number four is the fire that saith not it is enough. Now these are four things. These are four things that are never ever satisfied. Four things that never say it is enough. Brothers and sisters, are we not glad that there was a day when we said it is enough that Jesus died and rose again for me. Many years ago, 
in a little country church hall in County Down in Ireland, a young man of 16, 16 summers, at the end of a gospel campaign, an old farmer man who preached in his spare time, and a, an evangelist man that were sharing the evangelistic meetings, and they gave out a hymn in the old gospel hymn book that we sing back home, and the, the chorus says, It is enough. I seek no other argument. I want no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and rose again for me. And that young man said, yes, it is enough. I believe that when Jesus died, he died on Calvary's cross for me. And I trusted Christ that night for salvation. That man was my father. And on his bed in the hospital, from which the nurse told me he would never recover, I held his hand one night when all the others had gone home. And I said to him, Dad, it was a great night when you said it is enough. And he couldn't speak, but he shook his head, nodded his head. That was a great night. And a great night for us all when we realized that within ourselves we couldn't save ourselves. But we said it is enough that Jesus died and rose again for me. You know, we live in a world of discontent. We live in a world of strikes. and We live in a world where people are so so dissatisfied. It's a good thing. It's a good thing as a believer to be be satisfied and, and, and not to be discontent. So many discontented, so many discontented people in the world. And you know, I, I was I was enjoying what what Paul said. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read it out to you. What Paul said about his life. It's a verse in Second Corinthians. Let me read these couple of verses to you. Here was Paul's life in Second Corinthians eleven twenty four. Here's what he says of his experiences in life of the Jews. Five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils by the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides these things that are without, there cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. That's what we call at home a bad hair day. <laughs> oh boy. What a life Paul had. What a life Paul had. And yet here's what Paul said. I have learned whatever state I am in, therewith to be content. Content. Now are we content at Christians? Or are we grasping for more of the things of the world and are we contented? 
Are we, are, are, you know, a, a discontented, I want to say this to you with all my heart, a discontented believer never goes on well. Never goes on well. But you get a contented man and you can work with him and he's pliable and he's soft and he's helpful and he's sweet in his spirit. You can work with him. But you get a discontented man and nothing's ever right. A man was described to me one time as the assembly policeman. The assembly policeman. You know what that was? Everything. Oh, this was not right. Oh, this is not right. And He was the assembly policeman. I hope there's no assembly policeman here. I have learned whatever state I am in, therewith to be content. You know, the Lord Jesus was content. It's lovely to think of the contentedness of the Lord Jesus. You know, he was born and not despised. He, he was brought up and not despised at Nazareth. The mountainside was off his bed. His holy head was denied a pillow. His holy feet were left unwashed. And yet he was a contented man. Prophetic language, he could say, The lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places. Let us be content. And I want to tell you why we should be content. I was greatly taken with our opening hymns this morning. I was taken with all the hymns. But the opening hymns, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. How great thou art. And whenever I was... It's a, it's an, I know you're going to recognize this because it's an American group. Whenever I was brought up or bringing, getting brought up in Ireland or getting living in Ireland as a boy, there was a group called the Temptations. You never heard many preachers talking about the Temptations. But don't be too hard on me, Adel. <laughs> and they had a great hit. And it was called My Girl. My Girl. And here's what the temptations, here's what they sang. They sang, I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold outside, I've got the month of May. And I guess you'd say, what can make you feel this way? Talking about my girl, my girl. I've got so much, honey, the bees envy me. I've got a sweeter song than the birds in the tree. I don't need no money, fortune, or fame. I've got all the riches one man can claim. You're saying, what can make me feel this way, my girl? Well, she's here this morning, but someday, sometimes she does make me feel like that. But there's a Christian version of that. There's a Christian version of that. And it's because of this that you should be contented. Here's the Christian version. I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold outside, I've got the month of May. Well, I guess you'd say, what can make me feel this way? My God. My God. Talking about my God. Brothers and sisters, what a God we have. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father.
All I have need of, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness unto me. Let us, let us go away this morning contented. Let us go away this morning rejoicing in salvation. Let us go away this morning recognizing the ministry of Agar that we might, that we might realize the, the awfulness of the world in which we live and yet the blessedness into which we have been brought through this wonderful salvation. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Father, we're just so grateful this morning for this wonderful salvation that is ours so presently to enjoy. We've already been thinking this morning where we might have been if we'd never met the Saviour and if the Saviour had never found us. But we're thankful, Father, that the Saviour found us and He's blessed us and kept us. He's not only saved us from going down to hell, but He's been a friend in life. And we're thankful today for the friend that we've found in Jesus. And we pray that you'll bless all the dear folks today that have listened to the words of Agar, that His ministry might be fruitful to us, and that we might be more fruitful for the Lord and that we might be more earnest to give the best of our lives to him. So remember all your dear people here. Remember some whose hearts are sad today because of bereavement and because of parting. We're thankful that we'll meet on the other shore. But in the meantime, Father, we pray that you'll give us grace to keep close to you and to be better Christians than we've ever been before. We commit ourselves into your care and ask for a parting blessing. In the Saviour's name, amen. Amen.